God bless you, saints. So good to have you joining us here tonight as we again look into the Word of God. I'm excited to share with you. We have been working through and thinking about the quiet mind for troubled times. This is the 12th iteration of this, and uh, we have been examining this idea. And I, I want to kind of talk through it with you a little bit if we can. Uh, I want to lift up once again this idea found in Psalm 46, which says, Be still and know that I am God. That idea captures us. It, it holds us. It arrests our attention that at some point in time, you need to slow down. You need to t pause, take a break. You need to allow God to enter your place, your dwelling, your life, your heart, your, your very existence. And one of the things that has, um, has so captured me and, uh, and gotten my attention is the fact that the pause caused by the pandemic has really allowed us in many ways to realize that some of what we were doing that we thought was absolutely necessary was not as necessary as we thought. And that some of the times in which we prayed for God to let us slow down, we may not have known that which we were praying because some of you who have slowed down have been unnerved by the slowing. It's funny, you get what you ask for and you're still not happy. What we have come to understand is that God will use whatever he allows, which means that if something happens, no matter whether God has divinely orchestrated it for some purpose that he wants or whether it happens of natural order, God will make use of whatever he allows. And in truth, God can make great use of this season of pause for you if you see it as God's uh, ability to do something special. If you view this as a difficult moment, it will be difficult to you. The difficulty is not in the moment, the difficulty is in your mind. The difficulty is not always in the issues, the difficulty is in the wrestling of your spirit. And once you bring your spirit, your mind, under subjection, you find that even the most difficult times can be dealt with and you can find joy in it. When you get your mind to a resting place, a settledness in God, it is finding the settledness that is important. And I do believe that because we, we suffer from a, and excuse me, this will sound more philosophy than scriptural, but it is scripturally based. We suffer from a, a sort of a dualistic mind. We are, we are always working through binary thinking. Because we are fighting through binary thinking, everything is either all one or all the other. It's either all good or all bad. So that we can't celebrate the good things in life 
because they sometimes come along with some difficult things. And so we spend more time commiserating over the difficult things that we fail to celebrate the good things. You, you know people who uh, they'll be making a dinner and the dinner will, be, will come out and uh, they may have made six steaks and five will come out perfect, one will not be so perfect. The steak that is not perfect will be the one that they'll talk about all night long because they cannot enjoy in any partiality because they have gotten the mindset of all good or all bad. And sometimes when you do that, when your dualistic thinking is working against you, it holds you back. It keeps you from going. It keeps you from being and doing what you desire to do. It, it keeps you from God. And so tonight, I, I want to talk about this. I, I want to talk about this because I think that, that Jesus gave us some indications on what to do and how to handle our minds and how to handle the communal communion relationship with God in the Holy Scripture. But I want to suggest before we press too, fur too much further that we must be aware that the unspiritual self always wants to get in the way of the spiritual self. So that the, and, and we, we, we talked about this last week uh, and we called it the false self. And I still call it that. But I want to, let me use a biblical ease on it. So the unspiritual self, that false self will always get in the way of the spiritual self. It does not want you to be spiritual. It wants to remain as it is. It wants to follow the edicts of life as they have been um, cast before them. It wants you to follow the pattern that has been ahead of you your whole life. And in so doing, it keeps you from being your best self. So what does that mean? I, I look with me one well, just before I move into Matthew, would you look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. It says, the unspiritual self just as it is by nature, can't receive the gifts of God's Spirit. There's no capacity for them. They seem like so much silliness. Spirit can be known only by Spirit. God's Spirit and our spirits in open communion, spiritually alive, we have access to everything God's Spirit is doing and can't be judged by unspiritual critics. Isaiah's question, is there anyone around who knows God's Spirit? Anyone who knows what He is doing has been answered. Christ knows and we have Christ's Spirit. I want you to get this. The unspiritual self must be replaced by the spiritual self 
This is only accomplished through communion with God. The unspiritual self must be must be replaced by the spiritual self. This only accomplished through communion with God. And that's important that we recognize that. that, that you have to know that, that the more you commune with God, the less the, the, the unspiritual self has an opportunity to be in control. The more you commune with God, you do not experience or allow to experience the unspiritual self. You become more immersed in what God is doing in your life. Let me give this one more way. The, spirit, the unspiritual self is the false self. The true self is centered by the mind of Christ. The unspiritual self is the false self. The true self is centered by the mind of Christ. So how do we get to this? Uh, there, there is, there is uh, many ways in which to begin to grapple with this idea, and, and I've been kind of talking all around it for the last few weeks, so I want to come a little closer uh, to this idea. And I, I've been suggesting prayer, and I want to come back to talk about prayer. And if you get Matthew chapter 6, get your Bibles out, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 5, you, you see here this whole dialogue. I wasn't going to read it, but I'm going to read just put it out there. And then we'll come back and break it down. Beginning at verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Let's try and unpack that for a moment. The reality is that he calls them to prayer. In Luke's gospel, it, it is stated that he is asked by uh, one of the disciples of, of John that, that he wanted to know, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. In other words, they have, they have instigated this response from him, and the response from him comes up in what we refer to as the model prayer. It is interesting that that is the response, and it's interesting that in all of the time that Jesus was with his disciples, he doesn't teach them any cradle prayers. He doesn't teach them any particular way or style of praying. He models for them a prayer life by going away into a desert place, by going onto a mountain, 
by going into a garden, by getting up early in the morning to seek God's face. But he doesn't teach formula prayers. He doesn't teach that you, you need to pray these set words all the time. He models prayer, but he models a prayer that is more of an intimacy with God. He models a prayer that is more of a being in God's presence. And even when he prays for people or ministers to people, he models a kind of prayer that is more of a step into authority than it is what we know as prayer today. He doesn't say a lot of words even in those instances. In many cases, he simply takes command authority, binding, rebuking, loosening. He, he takes command authority. There is something different and unique about Jesus' prayer life and about what he tries to teach here about prayer that we need to grab hold of. I've been in church my, my whole life, of course, my whole adult life. Uh, I, I've been in church since I was a boy, probably grew up on pews of the churches, and I've seen all kinds of praying. With few exceptions, I've seen people use more words than they did use meditation, or than they did use contemplation, or than they used sitting in God's presence. It's almost as though we believe when we pray that we have to tell God everything. I've got a laundry list of things and I'm going to get my list out. And if I don't get my list out, God's not going to hear me. He, he, he tells them in verse 8, he says, he says, so do not be like them praying as they do. I'm reading Amplified here. For your father knows what you need before you ask. Your father knows what you need before you ask. He already knows. He, has, he, he understands your needs. So what he's looking for in prayer with us has to be something different than maybe what you have thought about in prayer. Now, I'm not talking about corporate prayer, because when we're in corporate prayer, it is an intercessory prayer that must be prayed verbally so that those who are in attendance can speak with the one voice and assent to the prayer being prayed on their behalf. It must be done verbally. And let me say this now, the amen at the end is extremely important it's important for the person praying to say amen, to signal to us that they are finished, but it's also important for those of us who have been a party to the prayer to say amen, to co-sign on the prayer. That is on my behalf. You prayed my prayer. This is my concerns, my issues. I want to co-sign to the prayer. It's never good to walk away from prayer without closing it out without amening the end, without bringing it to some close in that corporate setting. But that's corporate prayer. I'm dealing now with prayer, private prayer, 
your home. What are you going to do now? So Jesus said, teaches us something. The first part of the lesson he teaches us is that prayer must be done, and I put in parentheses with purpose. Prayer must be done with purpose. This, this, this is important. Uh, someone please write it in the comment section. Write it in the chat line. Prayer must be done with purpose. Purpose. In other words, you, you ought to have some intentionality when you pray. Prayer has purpose attached to it. It's not performance. It's practical. We pray what we need. Notice, notice uh, Luke 18 and 1 puts it this way. He says, men ought to always pray and not faint. Luke 18 and verse 1. Men ought to always pray and not faint. Prayer, prayer is important, it, it, but it needs purpose. And, and, and in verse 5, Jesus says that the hypocrites, and the word hypocrite simply means play actors. They may have been religious play actors, but they were play actors. They pray standing in the synagogue or on the corners of the street so that people can see their piety. I need someone to see how holy I am. And, and you know, the, the truth of the matter is that, that, that piety demonstrations are not necessary because I have come to the place now and I'm going to talk about this over the next few weeks because character and prayer go hand in hand. And so when I come back to talk about the character of prayer, you're going to get something that's going to mess somebody up because I'm going to tell you that if you're conceited, you're arrogant, you're mean, you're racist, you're sexist, you're all, you keep naming all those things, and then you try to act real pious because you pray loud, it doesn't work. If you really have a prayer relationship with God, it ought to do something to your character. And I'm going to help people understand what real piety looks like. We'll come to that next week. I, let me follow this course here. He says their purpose of praying is to be seen. Their purpose is to look pious. You know, and I, I'm, you know, if you grew up in church, you know there, there, there are some people who always want to look holier than they are. And you know them. They look deep. But underneath, underneath, I could, I could say some stuff about underneath. Looking deep, trying to get people to think you're deep doesn't make you deep. So you can't laugh, you can't smile. You know, you, you, can't, you can't enjoy life. You get upset because you see somebody else dance or move around because that doesn't look deep enough for you. you know, some people saw my wife and I dancing at our, was it her birthday? I think it was. We were dancing for her birthday and they played Kim. Promise to love. Good googly muggly. Oh, that's our song. I'm coming home, baby. Kim. Promise to love. Woo! Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. About that. And we danced. And uh, some people are, like, ooh, Bishop dancing. I said to myself, I'm dancing with my wife. I ain't with yours. 
you have to realize that piety does not come. Those, those things that you attribute to that foolishness of what really saved looks like are not saved. That's not real salvation. Some of which are things that we made up as we were going along. We thought they looked saved and deeper and we misread a few scriptures back in the day and you know, we got all caught up in pants or not pants or outfit and you know, hey! We have to be careful. We have to pray with purpose. And the purpose of your prayer ought to be communion with God. Ought to be communion with God. Ought to be relationship with God. Let me tell you something. Here, if the purpose of your prayer is communion with God, when you finish communing with God, it's been a great prayer whether or not anything has been answered. You don't have to get a shiny toy. God doesn't have to put a new car, house, land, anything. You, but if you were there to commune with God, it was effective because you were in his presence. He says, be still and know that I am God. He did not say, be still and know that I will give you this new blessing right here. The blessing's going to come. You know, um, let me put it like this. Uh, years ago, and I, it could be wrong, I, I could be mistaken, but I think I'm right, and I think it's a great story to tell. Uh, Gail King and Oprah Winfrey are great friends, and I think they've been friends for years. They, they've they, when Gail was in Connecticut uh, working at uh, WFSB uh, Channel 3, they were friends way back when. And uh, the story's told, and it could be wrong, but G Oprah blessed Gail in a large financial way early on. Not recently, hadn't needed to. Gail's doing just fine. Uh, but, but she blessed her because she's a friend. You missed it. Gail never asked her for anything. Didn't need anything from her. She had a great job. She was doing fine. But because she's her friend, and the Lord has blessed Oprah over and abundantly, Oprah wanted to bless her friend. You don't need to ask for nothing. I'm going to do this just because you, you missed it. Went over your head. When you are in communion with someone, if this happens on the earth realm, just think what happens with God. If we're in relationship and communion, your blessing is going to come just because we're in relationship. We're in communion. And I'm not going to let you not have anything you need. And matter of fact, I know your needs are met. I want beyond your needs. I'm super abundance because we, we all making it. Don't you know God realizes that? God, God is going to bless you the same way. God's going to take care of your needs. He's going to meet them. Prayers for communion. N number two. Number two. Prayer must be deliberate. And I say private. This, this is contemplative prayer. Deliberate and private. Deliberate and private. Uh, that, that's uh, that's why do you say that, Reverend? Read the text. The text says, 
But when you pray, verse 6 of, of Matthew, Matthew 6, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, shut the door. I think God, God lets us go in private, you know, because, he, you know, other folks are not going to understand what you're praying about anyway. They're not going to understand your relationship with God anyway, so they don't need to be in your business. Go in the room, close the door. Go inside, shut the door. Some things ought to be between you and God. You know, um, someone once said that Isaiah 26 and 20 is where Jesus makes a play on that idea. Because Isaiah 26, 20, he says, Come, my people, enter your chambers or your rooms and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves, as it were, for a little moment. Come in your rooms. Come, come, my people, enter your chambers. Shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself for a little moment. I believe that God has a way of pulling us back out of society, out of life for a moment so that we can commune with him and get blessed by him and then re-energize to re-engage the world. Now, unless God has called you to be a monk or uh, some sort of sister in some nunnery, uh, I don't think that God has called you to be in a hermitage off in the woods somewhere. But I do believe God wants you to pull back. Occasionally, you just need to let life stop. Be with God. Uh, it's interesting, uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, and I won't read all that. I'm going to jump down, uh, down to verse 4. 2 Kings 4, verse 4. And uh, Elijah, Elisha rather, is dealing with the widow. And the widow has is, is come to him and she's told him, said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to be taken up by the creditors. I don't know what I'm going to do. They're going to take my, my boys. They're going to ruin my life. And she says, what shall I do? Your servant is dead. The, the, the person, the person of God, a good man, he's dead. And Elijah said, go get some bowls, get pots, all that you can get. Don't get them full, get them empty. And bring them into your house. She said, all I got is a little bit of oil. She said, go get the pots. Bring them into your house. And he says, in verse 4, he says, And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour it into all the vessels and set aside the full ones. He said, I want you to go inside, shut the door, and start pouring. I believe that if you want God to do some pouring, you need to get behind your closed doors and let God go ahead and start pouring. Because what God wants to do is so supernatural, the natural mind couldn't handle it anyway. But if you allow God to let you get in and close the door, he'll bless you in ways that you will not ever believe. He'll pour into you. He'll, he'll pour into you. He'll pour into you. He'll pour into your life. He'll pour into your family. He'll pour into your home. It's interesting if you think about it. Um, down the same chapter uh, in, in 2 Kings 4, around verse 33, if you remember, the woman creates a little place for the prophet, and the prophet goes to visit her. God blesses the woman with a 
with a child, the Shunammite woman. That's the story we're talking about now. You can go back and reread these. Uh, this is good reading after Bible study. Reread the text that I'm bringing up. You can follow along again. But in that story, when, when he finds out that the child is taken ill, and she's laid the child on his bed that she had created for him in the house, and she runs to him, the Shunammite woman gets to him, and he enters in there. When he gets to that place, the Bible says that he went in, therefore, verse 33, he went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Sometime you got to shut the front door. Sometime you got to shut the door. You got that everybody can't be in the prayer. Everybody can't be next to you. Sometimes that what you're dealing with, you just got to close away. Just clo close the door. Close the door. Shut the door. Jesus said, sometimes it's time to shut, shut down. Sometimes it's time to have a shut in. A shut in. Shut the door. Let me do something spectacular in your life. Let me do something that you can't do on your own. Let me do something that you can't do independently. Shut the door. I want to speak to you. I want to move in you. I want miracles to happen for you. I want blessings on blessings on blessings. But there's something else that gets me in the text. Because I believe if you... Think about it close enough. The, he says, go into your inner room, into your inner room, into your closet. Go in there. He says, I'm going to bless you there. I'm going to do something for you there that is going to be different. I'm going to bless you in the inner room. I want you to get in the inner room. I want you to go in to that room. You know, um, years ago, years ago when I was um, uh much younger than I am right now. I remember going to visit uh, brother and sister O'Neill. She was sister O'Neill then. Uh, she's now, I think, evangelist O'Neill. We went to visit her. We were going, I think, for their new home blessing. And we got there to bless the home. And it didn't really need blessing. It was more of a celebration. It, I said it didn't need blessing. There were plenty of prayers going on there already. And what was interesting was we went around to see their beautiful home. And I never will forget Sister O'Neill saying, come here, I want you to see this room here. And my wife and I were visiting, and we went up, and she had a room. This is long before uh, war, war came out, you know, that, 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 that war room movie. It, before that came out, she had a prayer room dedicated just for prayer, just to be with God. Where's your space to be with God? If you carved out a place in your home, let me go a little deeper. Have you carved out a place in your life to be with God? If you set a place, this is where God and I meet. This is where I'm going to pray. Here I raise my Ebenezer. This is the rock I'll stand on. I, this is where I would pray. I, I remember um, a few years back, I, I went to visit, um, I, was, I think I went to preach for Dr. Robert Perry up in Stanford, Connecticut. Dr. Perry had just finished, they had just finished the renovations and built a new sanctuary at the uh, Union Baptist Church there in Stanford. And we were walking through, and uh, just a beautiful new edifice. It's a lovely place. 
and uh, got to a series of closets. And these closets were there, and they had no, uh, no coat racks in them. Kind of hard, closet with no coat racks. And uh, so, of course, I asked, what are these? And Dr. Perry said to me, he said, these are prayer closets. He said, because every now and then, even when you're at church, you might need to find a, need a place that you can find to steal away and go into your closet and talk to the Lord. My, my, my. You've got to have a prayer closet, a place to pray. What's interesting, though, is that not only do I think this text refers to the physical building and the physical place, the inner room. You know, the inner room would have probably been for the rich, might have had multiple room houses. And those who are less rich might have had one room below and maybe a rooftop on top or might have been another story with another large room. And they didn't, there weren't like a lot of bedrooms there. They weren't building mansions. And so that going into your room might have also had a metaphorical meaning. And it might have been that one needs to pull away from the ordinary the, the, the external eyes, the, the people watching you and the, the, the things that are going on to pull back from that, pull back from any external stimulation and be with God. So you move from all of the, the, the awareness of your surroundings and the people around you. And I believe you find that inner sanctum within you that place at the deeper level where your spiritual awareness can be made alive, where all of the distractions of life can be pushed aside and you and God can find what, 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 what Howard Thurman called that trysting place. Shut the door. I, I believe shut the door is to close out the distractions. Shut the door. Get along with God. Get along with him. Shut the door. Shut, shut it. So God can minister to you. Shut it so God can, can be with you. Now, now, I pull this last one here. Is that prayer must be your disposition. Must be your disposition. It must be personal, personal. It, it, it's got to be your disposition. It's, it's personal. It, it can't be regular or ordinary. It can't be, you know, I, I hate people that pray while I, I, other people's prayers. You, you pray your prayer. I don't mind praying the prayers of St. Francis of Assisi, but at some point you need to pray your own prayer as well. Pray your prayer, personal. You, you know, look at the text closely. He says, shut the door and pray to your father. Put, put, put verse 6 back up on the screen. Pray to your father. Matthew 6, verse 6 says, pray to your father. Hold that right there. The word father there is Abba. 
He said, pray to Abba, your, your father. You, 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 you use the word Abba as a part of the personal relationship with God, that, that relationship between you and God, the Abba. Abba, I belong to you. And, and notice, notice what he says. And, and, and I, I, I like this because this, this both contains God and it sets God free. Notice the next line as it is written in the New King names now. He says, who is in the secret place? He is in the secret place. He's also in the street. He's also in the woods. He's also in the meadow. He's also in the ocean. He's also in the sky. The problem with us is we keep trying to contain him. He says, when you get to the secret place, he's already in the secret place. When you get to the secret place, don't worry about finding him. Watch this. I know you're at home watching Bible study now, and you're not in the sanctuary where you would normally get this word, but right where you are is the secret place, and Abba is there with you in the secret place right now, just as he would be here when you meet him in the sanctuary. God is not limited to church buildings. God is always there with you and your father, who is in the secret place. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, it's a personal prayer. I, I. I, I need to recognize that my, my soul, my spirit, aligning with God, allows for God to move within me in ways that only God can and ways that God desires. And I, my, my family will tell you this. They'll, they'll be honest enough with you. They, they, they used to wouldn't tell anybody because they thought it would embarrass me. But they've come to realize I'm not embarrassed by it. It, it is who I am. I, I can, you know, for, for fear of being antisocial, I sometimes will go and sit with them in the family room and watch the movie or watch the show that they're watching or look at whatever they're into. And then they will ask me something about a conversation that started that I was unaware of started. And they will be halfway through a conversation and wondering what I, my ascent to the conversation and realize that I'm not there at all. I'm in the room, but Elvis has left the building. I used to feel bad about it until they learned me. You know, I, I don't do that if we're in the middle of a conversation. At least I try not to. But in truth, there's nowhere... I can be, there cannot be a secret place. I can meditate with my eyes open. I can meditate standing up or sitting down. I can meditate in a crowded room. I can meditate driving down the street. And God knows if I had to, I can meditate and think on God, even in the middle of a conversation, especially if I was trying to hear God as to how best 
to respond. Why? Because the secret place is not just the closet or the room with the door shut. The secret place is in me. And when I learn that the door open and closes inside of me, that the physical space allocated is only to facilitate the door in me, that the closet allocated is only to facilitate my ability to open the door in me, I then will realize that there's nowhere and no time when I cannot be in the deepest, most intimate place with God. Unless you think that makes for a bad family member. No, it doesn't. Not if you don't lose it and get crazy with it. What one has to realize is that God wants to be intimate with you and be close to you. You can learn, and I'm not trying to tell you to do this. I'm just trying to tell you what I do and what I, who I am. I'm not, and if you did not know this, you are, are coming into a truth tonight. What I'm telling you is that you can, we can withdraw uh, from the world inwardly into a place of spiritual seclusion and privacy and meditation and the door can open and shut so that we can approach the very throne room of God, which makes the possibilities of worship endless. The possibilities of worship are endless. If I could, ah, let me see. If I could appreciate and meditate for a moment just at the movement of the wave of the water and see it and hold on to it until I quiet my mind down, I'll be able to appreciate the movement of God. If I could appreciate the beauty of a flower, and hold on to it and see its petals and see its stem and see its placement in the dirt or in the vase if even that it's cut free I can find a trysting place with God I, I know. see I'm going a little deeper than some of y'all are ready for but stay with me for a moment the possibilities of worship become endless. Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24, verse 63 says this. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening and lifted his eyes and looked and the camels were coming. He went out to do what? Meditate. Where did he meditate at? In a field? Where'd Jesus go? In a garden? C come on here. In other words, saints, you know, you don't have to be 
phobic and feeling cloistered in your home during this season, go walk in the grass and meditate. Go walk by the waterside and meditate. Go take a walk out of your door and even just watch life and meditate. Because as you open yourself up to the very presence of God, what you will find is that once you really connect with God's spirit, and you allow God's spirit to dominate your false mind so that your true mind, your true spiritual mind takes control, that God will so absorb you and will so indwell you that you will feel buoyed and lifted and rejoice even in the midst of a pandemic. You'll be smiling and no one will know why. You'll be lifted and people will wonder how you got there. And the reality is that you will get there by trusting God. I, I'm, I'm almost out of time, but uh, early Christian brothers and sisters, I, I was going to do another sign, but I, I'm going to cut to the chase. Uh, earlier, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verse 22, get your Bibles out real quick. This verse was used. Chapter 16, verse 22. It says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be a curse. And the last part of the verse says, O Lord, come. Now the O Lord, come is the word Maranatha. And many early Christians who meditated took the, the word Maranatha, O Lord, come, as a word or phrase to use during meditation to invite the Lord Jesus to come, whether that is in the pedosia, the second coming or whatever, or whether it is just in this moment, come into my life. I want to invite you to this week use that word, Maranatha, O Lord, come. Lord, come to me. Come, come into my, my space. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Come into this moment. God, I need this Maranatha. I need this. That's M-A-R-A-N-A-T-A-H. I need this Maranatha. I need, Lord, you to come inside of me. I'm willing, God, to be patient and to let you have complete control. This is how you're going to get the quiet mind. This is how you're going to settle your spirit. You're not going to settle your spirit watching everything on CNN or Fox or NBC, ABC, CBS, MSNBC. Or you're not going to get it by reading everything in the day, the New York Times, the New York Post, LA Times, Orlando Sentinel, you're not going to get it. Those things give information. In many cases, giving information about a world in turmoil. And all of that turmoil as a constant intake will only cause you to feel depleted. 
So if you're struggling now, if you're struggling in your mind, you're struggling with all the stuff going on in the world, you, you can't afford to keep saturating yourself with more information. Set aside a time to watch the news. In the old days, you only watched the news in the evening hour, and you watched the news there, and your, your afternoon news came on at 6 o'clock, and your news came on at 6.30, and that was all the news for the day. 34 years ago when I came to New London, 35 years now, the day paper was a morning paper, so you'd read the day paper in the morning, and then you would get the New York Times in the afternoon, or vice versa. And it was one or the other, and then you had to get the other one in the afternoon. And you, that's what you did. But now news is 24-7, and everybody's being bombarded. And then you wonder why your mind gets depressed. Don't feed the depression. Don't feed the sadness. Don't feed the monster that wants to make you think it's all bad. Yes, it's bad. Pandemic, check, bad. Racism, check, bad. Transphobia, check, bad. Homophobia, check, bad. Listen, all of it's bad. But at the same time, if you keep taking in bad, 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 and the only time you pray is over your food, you got one or two prayers that are two or three seconds long, and that's it. You can't help but be emotionally depleted because you haven't filled up. And so I say, Maranatha, come, Lord. And let God take control. And because of your relationship with the Lord, he says, verse 6, pray to your Abba, who is in the secret place. I'll talk about how we do this next week. But pray to Abba. Pray, pray to Abba. Pray, pray to Abba. Pray, pray to Abba. Pray to your father in the secret place. Pray to Abba. I belong to you. You're the real one. You're the real one. The world is the, is the, is the image. The world is not real. You're real. The world is false. The world is fake. You're real. God, we belong to you. And so we ask now, come Lord, I belong to you. I belong to you. Come on, minister.
One more time. Abba. is that when one gets to the place where you know who you are in God and that God is in you believers I'm talking to now in particular and you learn to access the very presence and intimacy of God what God will do for you is to help you to, to reshape and refocus your mind so that you will see the world even as it is and it will not bother you. You will see what is in front of you, but it will not frighten you. You know, um, they take people when you're in your Navy SEAL or in one of those deeper parts of the military and you, you do those Delta Force things, they, they, they get them to the place where they're not afraid of anything. So they'll drop them in the middle of the ocean and teach them how to survive. You have to make it back. So if ever there actually dropped in the middle of the ocean there's no panic I've been here before oh you missed that they'll, they'll put them in the woods with just their backpack and their, their knife and their gun 
No food. We'll come back and get you in a week. And they'll survive because they've been trained how to pick food off of the vine and berries and what animals they could eat. They're not afraid of anything. You, you left there would lose your mind. They have left there. It's like this another day in La La Land. You, you know what? You know what the model of the seals are? I think I'm right when I say this. The only easy day was yesterday. In other words, they get up expecting trouble. And that's what they think they were built for. What are you saying, Bishop? I'm saying that it's in your mind. If you give God your mind, God can take even these thoughts that are around the difficulty of this hour and give you complete and total peace. Now go in. Shut the door. Spend time with God. Be still and know that I am God. I love you, Shallow family. God bless you. I look forward to seeing you again soon. I'll see you on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. We ask you to keep praying. Our food pantry's open this week. We keep praying. I'll have another announcement coming out real soon about some other things we're doing here at the church. So I'm looking forward to doing great things in God. While the church sanctuary is closed, the church itself is still active. It's active here doing ministry and active at your house in intimacy with God. You be the church. You be still and know that he's God. I love you. God bless you. Go in peace. Shalom.